you don't just want to store up your money for retirement for a time to enjoy your life, which you don't necessarily know if you're going to make it to. You're building up an investment for your future, but you're also enabling yourself to use the money now instead of waiting and seeing and hoping it's going to be there in the future. Welcome everyone to the Lifestyle Engineer Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chenard. And today I have Sean Ryder. So Sean Ryder is actually a business mentor of mine. And he's also, he's a husband, a father, gym owner, Airbnb, super host, commercial real estate investor, YouTube creator, and author. And I was joking. I was like, Sean, this, this is not even fit on your profile, but welcome, Sean. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to start throwing some fake titles in there just to max it out. I think I have like four characters left. Hey, I mean, you can, that's one of the coolest things that I realized lately is you can kind of create your own titles in terms of lifestyle engineer. What does that even mean? I yeah. don't know, but I love it. It. yeah, <laughs> uh, today we're going to dive mostly into wealth insurance. That's your, your brand, um, infinite banking, overfunded dividend paying whole life policies, which I myself, we were in the same uh, mastermind group of gym mentors or gym, gym entrepreneurs from all over the world. And that's when I first got exposed to it. It was about four, four years ago. Uh, Stephen Devlin, McDevlin from in Canada got hooked up with him. And my mind has been blown ever since how people don't know about it, how much freedom and creativity there is in it. But I'm going to kind of just throw it over to you. And because I'm sure you have a lot to talk about on this subject. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, everyone uh, put your seatbelts on because we're talking about the sexiest thing in the world. We're talking about life insurance. <laughs> I mean, I think the amount of followers you're going to get from just having life insurance in the title of your podcast is going to be inf inf infinite. You're going to get millions and millions and millions of followers. But stick with <laughs> us here, guys, right? Like um, it on, at face value, it seems like it's one of the most boring topics in the world. Um, but as you start peeling away layers to what you can actually do with properly structured life insurance policies, especially from an entrepreneurial's perspective, from uh, staying in control of your finance perspective, it really opens up your mind to a whole new level of, of financial control. Um, and, and that's why I've been being brought on podcasts because a lot of the people that, that bring me on have entrepreneurial minded followers. And that doesn't mean that they own small businesses. It just means that they have a creative brain and they like to understand things and implement things into their life that can add value to it. And, and that, that doesn't mean you need to own a business or not. So if you're, if you're someone like that, stick with us here. Um, obviously Matt just disclosed that he owns some policies in Canada. I own five policies in the United States. So let's just separate out a few things from the beginning here is hmm. products, a whole life insurance product can be structured similarly in both countries. The infinite banking concept can be executed similarly in both countries. There is a slight difference on how a Canadian would want to own those policies. And that's where I will not discuss the differences. And I'll defer to your agent, Stephen. I think he's one of the best in Canada. He can help the Canadians. I obviously can speak towards the Americans. So we'll, we're going to focus on product design and conceptual execution of leveraging the policy. So um, let me hesitate and, and put the ball back in your court. You're the podcast host and see uh, where you uh, think I should start or what question you may lead with. And then we'll dive down the rabbit holes, my man. Yeah, there's um, like you, you mentioned rabbit holes at the very end. There's a lot of rabbit holes. And you mentioned I have policy. So I have a policy personally and corporately. And Stephen, if anyone's in Canada, listen to this. Um, feel free to reach out to me. I'll connect you with Stephen. And then my US friends, definitely um, reach out to Sean on this topic because there's, there's ways you can really poorly structure this. You want to make sure that you uh, connect with the right person. And, but I guess the question I'll ask, let's say in two minutes, you could give this snapshot of what this is in mm -hmm. terms of 
infinite banking. So it's using a policy, but what does infinite banking mean? Yeah, great question. I like to separate out the product, which is whole life insurance, and there's ways to structure it. And then there's the infinite banking concept, which is a way of viewing money, money management, and the banking function in your life. So two-minute version, infinite banking concept is getting someone to understand how banking works, how the business of banking works, and that they can actually do the business of banking themselves. And, and so what does that mean? It means storing money in a place that is an asset to you that gets you good returns like the banks have on people's deposits and then being able to leverage access to capital to acquire more assets or more quote unquote money. So that's what the banks do, right? The banks entice people very poorly, but it's worked for numerous years to house their money in their accounts at the bank. Then the bank pays them something. It's very mild and low right now, which is why I'm against it. But then the bank goes out and loans that money out and receives more money in the future. So that's the function of banking, storing money to protect it, leveraging money to acquire things that pay you more money. That's the banking function. So we're going to be able to do that as an individual by structuring and putting money into this product. And the product is whole life insurance. So that is literally the two minute version. That should not entice anyone to go run to their local life insurance agency and say, open up a banking function, Paul. There's so much to it, but that's literally macro level what we're talking about here. Staying in control of the money in your life, getting good returns and having access to capital when you need it, whether it's for an expense or an investment. Yeah, and I like how you said, storing and having access and that leverage piece because i think what happens in multiple conversations i have talking about this concept and uh way of thinking about your money and finances is people put it against different investments like let's talk about real estate people say well why don't i just put it in real estate instead of putting it into this policy right and almost putting them side by side and saying looking at the rate of return instead of saying it's a storage, it's protecting and you're leveraging against it and it's compounding in there because you're leveraging it against your, your death benefit. Correct. Which I yeah, think that's right the there. thing. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a simple sentence, what you just said, but there right. were four or five components in there that are, you know, novel explanations in right. my brain here. So yeah, it's exactly right. Right. People nowadays, usually solely compare financial products based on one thing, and that is the ROI, the return on investment. And that is certainly important. But if you take a friend out to coffee and you say, hey, what are the most important characteristics of financial tools? No one would ask it this way. <laughs> what are the most important <laughs> characteristics of financial tools on where you put your money? Um, return on investment is one of them. But one of the first things people would say is safety and security. Right. Mm -hmm. um, if, if they really actually thought about the question, what do I want for my money? How about this one for change? Most people don't want to lose money. Most people don't want to see their money go down in value, even if they know in the long run, this thing, a la an index fund, will historically bring back an average of 8%. Oh, the stock market went down 15%, but it'll bounce back. Okay, that's cool but you're still down 15%. How's that make you sleep well at night, right? And so people look for these characteristics or subconsciously, they, they, they have these characteristics, they just haven't thought about it consciously. And so what I'm doing is instead of solely looking at rate of return, I'm asking someone, what are the characteristics you look for? How do those care and why and why? And how do those characteristics relate to where you currently put your money? Okay, so that's how the conversation starts many people will say safety, security, a decent rate of return, and something about tax deferred growth or tax-free distribution and access to money. I don't want it tied up for X amount of years. Okay, great. So they might get one or two of those with some sort of financial tool, right? Oh, I want good return. Okay, well, real estate proves that you can get a good return. I want access to my money. Well, if you take $50,000 and you put it into 
a piece of real estate, do you have access to that money? Mm. Not right away. You have to build equity in the property, and then the bank will give you access up to a certain percentage right. of your equity. So you can have access, but not right away and not of the money that you put in. Let's take a step back here and talk about banking. How do 99.9% .9 of people use their money in, re in regards to banking? They earn money, they place it in a bank, they don't get any return, they're actually losing value because of inflation is greater than the rate of return they get in a bank. Right. And then the bank goes and, and loans it out 10x and gets a good return. Then let's say someone's into real estate, or they have an expense like a vacation or a car or a medical issue, or they want to buy a business, or they do want to move that money and put it into an index fund because they built their bank, ac bank account up so high. What they do is they remove the money. So the money hasn't grown while it's there. And then they remove the money and they put it into this thing. And maybe it's an expense so they don't get a return. Maybe it's an investment so they get a return. But they still removed the money. So it wasn't growing. Then they removed it. What's the next step? Most people, if they remove $10,000 from a bank account, what are they going to want to do? Put $10,000 back into the bank account. And what's that mean? They literally have to start over. Right. And you brought up a word there, compound interest. Albert Einstein said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. People can understand that. The issue here is that most people don't allow their compounding to go uninterrupted for the rest of their life. So compound interest is great up until the point you interrupt it. So let's imagine the banks even paid us 6% on our money. 6% would be really good right now. I would love 6% in my bank account. The second I interrupt that and start over, is a terrible, terrible problem I now have to deal with. So the goal is put my money somewhere to get a return that can compound uninterrupted. Uninterrupted compound interest is the ninth wonder of the world. And then if and when I need money for an expense or an investment, will the place that currently has my money loan me money, not give me my money because I don't want to remove it. Will they loan me my money? If the answer is yes, great. What's my next question? Will they loan it to me at a lower rate than what they're paying me on my money? The banks won't do that. The life insurance companies will. And this actually answers your question here. Loaning out against what? How can the life insurance companies do that and the banks don't? Because I bought a product and that product is whole life insurance. And whole life insurance has a 100% guaranteed death benefit payout. So if I have a $2 million death benefit and I'm asking the life insurance company for $30,000 for a down payment, on a piece of real estate, and I have 40 grand in cash value inside that policy, they're going to give it to me because they know someday they, they are going to pay out 2 million on my life. They don't know if that's tomorrow or 50 years from now. So my man, that's probably a slightly longer answer than the two minute version of what we're doing here, but that's what we're doing here. Yeah, no, I appreciate that answer. Cause I did, I did put a, a few things in there. A lot. That's uh, or a few concepts that, um, people might not know if they haven't investigated this. And so I'm going to kind of outline what I know about it. Um, mm. And you know much more about it than I do. So you take a policy on yourself or your kids, or even if you're um, an entrepreneur, you can take them out on your employees too. In Canada, I know you can. I think you can do it in the same in the States. Yes. You, you pay a premium. And then you overfund it, right? In Canada, again, you can overfund it or you can pay the premium on overfunded monthly. You can do it yearly. Um, so that overfunding, right? So let's say you're paying a $600 premium and you overfund it by 700 as an example. How much of that money, or let's make it easy, 500 and 500. How much of that money can you borrow against? So it's $1,000 a month. How much can you borrow against? Yeah, so... The worst, best answer to most questions is it depends. And this right. obviously it depends because there are numerous products, even, and, and by numerous products, there's ones that you don't want to put it in, but then there's quite a few uh, for these purposes that you can put it in. And the ratio, which is what you're asking about, the ratio of money I put in and how much access do I have for cash value on that? It really depends on the structure of the policy. And a, and a properly structured policy is based on your actual goals. So let me talk about what I... I personally own, I own five policies. Each are structured a little bit differently based on 
whose life it's on and the the goal I had for those policies. So I'm going to kind of jumble them together and sure. give you a give you a range. The two policies I opened up first, one on me, one on my wife, these were larger policies in terms of the annual um, amount of money putting in. And because I wasn't expecting, nor was I looking to leverage them right away to buy an asset, I was looking way more long range on these for long-term growth inside the policy, good retirement income. So again, internal rate of return growth, solid. How quickly do I break even? And then ultimately, because I'm statistically speaking, going to be the first one in my family to die, and I'm the first one doing the infinite banking concept, I did care about that long-term debt benefit growth on my policy. Because the day that I die, statistically speaking, I'll be first. The death benefit is what's going to fund the family bank. Right. Okay. So that policy, I had about 65% of the money I was putting in show up in cash value right away. Okay. So 65% is pretty solid. Okay. 35% went to what's called the, the base premium or the cost of the insurance. That's what got me my death benefit. Now that money on paper looks like it disappeared. But again, I, I overfunded and the life insurance company will never use the phrase overfunded. They're going to, they're going to say, what riders did you add to the policy? And a rider is a way that you can get more money into the policy, which is in, in layman's terms, Hey, life insurance company, you're asking me for 500 bucks, but I want to give you a thousand. So you're voluntarily giving them more money. So they're going to take most of the overfunded portion, like 97 to 99% of the overfunded portion shows up immediately in cash value. So for me, two of my policies were 65% showed up in cash value right away. Now, again, that money doesn't disappear because that money's going to grow. And then I get, I get all that money back over time. So those two policies at about seven and a half years, they will break even. So every dollar I've paid into it, I will have available in cash value. We skipped over this cash value, ladies and gentlemen, is an asset on my personal net worth balance sheet. It is not something that I can't use. It's valuable to me. Okay. It's like cash in a bank in terms of a net worth statement. The three other policies I own. Okay. These are what I'm calling super high early cash value policies. They are structured in a way to where 90% of the money I'm putting in showed up in cash value immediately. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 90% was overfunded. Now, someone may ask very quickly, well, why would I do 65% versus 90%? Well, that's what you have to look at these on paper, on paper. And what are your actual goals? There are pros and cons to both. Both policies are going to get a good internal rate of return. And depending on the company you use, like the big company that I work with, or sorry, that I own policies from, um, they're making the returns equal. They're doing that in two different ways. So I won't dive into deep, but my returns on both policies are equal. The long-term death benefit increase. And depending on the pure structure of the policies, the break-even point can either be sooner or later, depending on each. So the, the super high early cash value products, these are the ones that I am using to leverage in a shorter time frame. So these right. are the ones that I opened when I started investing in real estate. These are the ones that the extra cash I was sitting on, I dumped them into these policies. So I had more in cash value. Now, how much can I loan against is another part of your question. When you have cash value, whether it's $10,000 or $100,000 in cash value, the life insurance company will loan around 90% of that via policy loans. So if you have $100,000 in cash value, you should be able to loan against it up to about 90. Now, sometimes they do a little bit more. Like one of my policies, I can do like 93%, okay? But 90%. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful because I think the other question common... I'm kind of asking the questions that would prevent people from investigating this or doing this is I put 10,000, let's say I put 10,000 in a policy. There's still some of that I don't have access to. So someone would say, Hey, I'm going to take that 10,000. I'm going to put in my bank account and I'm going to use it for investments. Cause I don't, mm -hmm. I don't want to lose that 10% or whatever, 65%, uh, sorry, 35% access. And cause I would guess that would be a more, long-term play too to say at seven and a half years i'm going to break even so why would that be more advantageous to do than doing term and then investing the rest yeah yeah very good question and again it depends on the exact person's right. situation like if if they're single 
Um, if they're single and most people would say single and young, they wouldn't do this. Well, single and young, the question would be, do they plan on being married and having kids? Because when you're single and young is when you should be buying insurance because it's going to be cheapest, whether right. it's whole or term, it's still cheapest. But let, let's say it's someone in their 40s that doesn't really have any dependents. They're like, why would I do this? Well, do you plan on living to be 100? Because even if you're 40 or 50, like that's a whole nother lifetime, right? And if they're healthy, they're they're response would be, yeah, God forbid an, an accident. I do plan on living. So again, I'm thinking even seven and a half years is still not that long, right? So what I want to talk about with these, these people that have this question is I'm looking at it short, medium, and long-term. In the short term, I don't have access to that 10%, but that 10% got me these other things. It got me death benefit, okay? Which is important to me as a husband and father. Even if you're not a husband or father, if you have, if, if you're really big on giving money, the beneficiary of your policy could be your church. It could be a chair, charity, right? So there's an aspect there for those types of individuals. But what I'm looking at and what I've done personally is, hey, I am going to play this long game. I want to play the short-term game and acquiring assets. So the long-term game, the little bit that I don't have access to today is my premium, quote unquote, my tax, so to speak. It's a terrible word to use, but my tax on being patient, delayed gratification, because I know I'm going to get that money back and it's going to continue to grow uninterrupted and it's going to, in, in, in down range, long range, it's, I'm going to get a really good return on that no matter what. But today, what I talk to people about is if I put money into a life insurance policy and I'm getting 6% on that money, and then I can leverage the policy to acquire the same real estate that I plan on acquiring, this goes back to your question. Sorry, it took me yep. a bit to get here. Nope. If, if they're planning on buying real estate and they plan on getting 15% return in real estate, okay, if you buy the real estate, you're just going to get your 15% return. If I put it in a life insurance policy first, I get a 6% return. I'm talking for me specifically. Right. On my cash value. I'm going to be able to take a loan between and the interest on the loan is four to five percent depending on which policy i pull it from so i'm already netting a one to two percent financial arbitrage difference i'm earning six percent on a higher dollar amount i'm accruing interest on a lower dollar amount at a lower interest rate four to five percent so my net is one to two percent then i can take that money and go buy the real estate at 15 percent return so what did i just do i just added an additional one to two percent to my total returns. That is the answer to your question. Why would someone want to do this? Because I'm going to add percentages to my return. Mm. I'm still down per, one, 10%, 10, 10 to 35% in year one. You're going to get all of that back. So stop thinking about year one because you're planning on owning more real estate for, for a longer period. You're planning on owning that piece of real estate for a longer period of time. Because people right. can think, I plan, I plan on buying and holding. Okay, well, if you plan on buying and holding that because you know it's what's best for you, if you understand this concept in the product, buying and holding is what's best for you because it's putting your returns on steroids. Hmm. It, it, it's like just giving you the extra edge. And now let's fast forward, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s, at some point you're going to be 70 and 80 and you're going to want to possibly liquidate that account for tax-free income. Now, I won't speak to the differences between the United States and Canada. There's ways to do this in both countries. It's slightly different. I'm going to want not only to own my assets that give me cash flow, then I can turn around and liquidate my whole life insurance policy as tax-free income in retirement. Hell, heck yes, you can. Heck yes, you can. And so that, when we add that to the mix, now the whole conversation changes, going back to what we led this podcast with, mm -hmm. with which was, they compare rate of return. Let's compare rate of return over a longer time frame, and this product and concept strategy blows it out of the water. Yeah, man, I love talking about this stuff because it just every time <laughs> I too. talk, we about might be the only two. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, people bug me sometimes when I start bringing up. Well, I, I, I would like to talk about this. There's so many different parts of it, and the thing that you kind of alluded to, but the terms, right? Like you, yes, you're paying back interest. So you want to pay back the loan, obviously. 
but you don't have to, right? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. What happens with the loan provisions? The only thing the inter- the life insurance companies um, dictate is the interest rate. Okay. Now, right now, my policy is it's somewhere between four and five percent. That is a quote variable rate. And if, oh, it's variable. They can change it anytime. All right. Let's talk about what they can do and what they are doing. I've owned these policies for four years. What has happened to interest rates in four years? Just the past yeah. year, they've doubled. Yeah. What happened to my interest rates on my variable loans? They have not changed. The life insurance companies can change them once a year at the start of the year. I just got a letter a month and a half ago from the company that owns my policy saying, hey, your rate is 5%. Your rate for next year is 5%. So I literally have locked in variable rates for the next year, and they haven't changed them in four years. Okay. Um, and so the, that's the only part the life insurance company, who controls the rest? Me. I'm in, in, I'm in full control of how that loan gets paid back, when, how much, and how often. There is no monthly payment. There's no interest-only payment. There's no paperwork. There's no credit check. There's no putting my name at the bottom of a piece of paper that I don't understand. There's no uh, asset backing the collateral. The collateral is my death benefit or the cash value, depending on how you view it. It's both, in my opinion. Um, I can take out a loan, not make a payment on that for six months, just let the interest accrue because again, I have financial arbitrage. So I'm good with that math. I'm earning more than what's accruing. And then it, so it buys me time. I'm in control and it buys me time. That allows me to sleep well at night. Okay. So depends on the person's strategies. Let's talk about, let's go back to basic banking. Cause some, some people listening to this podcast are not interested in real estate. I was not interested in real estate right. four years ago when I started the policies. I started my policies as a larger retirement vehicle. And I use the word retirement lightly because um, these policies don't fall into the typical uh, government controlled regulations and, and rules. Okay. Um, just as a way to earn tax-free income in the future is how I set these up. So let's just go back to basic banking. Why would I pay interest on a loan to a life insurance company? Here you go. Your money's earning money. You're going to pull a loan. You go and buy a car. You're going to go and buy a car. Most people have that experience so they can understand this. You can buy a car using cash. The issue with that goes back to what we said earlier. If you buy a car for 30 grand and you use 30 grand in cash from a bank account, you now remove 30 grand from a bank account. That's going to cause some stress in your life and you're going to want to build it back. Let's say it takes you two years to build back that 30 grand. Where are you after two years? You're back to where you were two years prior. You had 30 grand, you're removed 30 grand, fast forward two years, maybe it takes you five years. Where are you at? You're back to where you were. You're, you're behind where you were because of inflation. But again, let's not get too complicated. Okay, so let's use financing from the car company because they might be able to give me a better interest rate. So I'm going to put 20% down on the car. I'm going to put that note from car financing company A on a five-year payment plan. Mm-hmm. When do those payments start? In 30 days. What happens if I don't make a payment? They're going to come calling. What happens if I don't make three payments? Knock, knock, look outside, your car's gone. What happens if you're making a $450 car payment and you have a medical emergency or God forbid you want to take your family on a vacation? Where do you have to get that money from? Well, you certainly can't stop making your car payment to get it. Where are you after five years of paying back that loan? You have a car. You don't have the money pretty bad situation to be in. What does buying a car look like with a life insurance policy? You have 30 grand in a policy that's earning, if it's my policies that I own, 6%. Right. I pull a loan against it that's going to accrue at 4 or 5%. So that interest rate might be a little bit higher than the interest rate I can get from the car company, but stick with me here. Why would I voluntarily pay a little bit more interest? I'm going to pretend that that loan from the life insurance company is no different than the loan from a bank or the car financing company A. I'm going to pay back that loan at 450 bucks a month over five years. No different. Where am I after five years? I have the car. I have no outstanding loans from the life insurance company. What else do I have? I have the 30 grand plus all the accruing interest I earned on that money for five years. 
I am well ahead of where right. I was. And if I've been paying an annual premium, add that on top. I have way more money five years from now, and I have the asset. Now, the asset is a depreciating asset. Flip the script to the people listening to this podcast that want to buy cash flowing assets. Buy a piece of real estate and fast forward five to 10 years. Your real estate's paying down the loan from the life insurance company. You're netting the difference as cash flow income, no different. And your money's growing the entire time. Here's one thing we skipped over. When you take a loan out from a life insurance company, your money, your cash value in the right company with the right structure, that's why it's important to work with someone like Steven in Canada or, or reach out to me and I'll partner, um, I'll send people to the agency that owns my policies in the United right. States. My money does not get deducted. My money stays at top dollar in our example at 30 grand and continues to earn 6%. So I, I don't know and I have yet to run into someone that can talk me out of that explanation. There is no reason, there's no bad con issue with this product and concept strategy laid out that way. There's nothing. There's nothing anyone has ever said that goes against that from a negative perspective. Yeah, I, I love that car example. And you explained it very well. I've heard it before, but something clicked when you explain it that way. Because you can also borrow against your policy or use your, your pure system, your banking, infinite banking system to buy crypto as an example. I mean, stuff like that, right? Because you're going to get a greater return, but it's, it's still gaining you interest over time. Because like you said, when you buy a car, it's depreciating. It's, uh, it's a depreciating asset. And it's not creating cash flow unless you did something like Turo or something. But, and whereas stocks or crypto, I mean, even in the long term, if they gain a greater rate of return than they lost, you still have it in your infinite banking system. So we haven't talked about profits or dividends. Now, is it, I don't know if it's the same in the States or I know it's in Canada, so it must be in the States too, but you earn dividends as well, correct? Yeah. So there is life insurance policies, whole life insurance policies are contracts. So the details of the contracts are laid out ahead of time, which is great. From an entrepreneurial's perspective, not much is guaranteed in our businesses. Right. So I really like the thought of the foundation of my money management system being a guarantee. Part of the policies that I own in the States, I have a contractual guaranteed interest rate that my money is earning. Because my policies are owned, and this is important, owned by a mutual company, not a public stock company, because my policies are owned by a mutual company, who is the owner of the mutual company? The, the, the policyholders are the owners of the company. So when the, when the mutual company has profit, who gets the profit? It is distributed to the policyholders in the form of a dividend. Now, the life insurance companies in the States have to call it a dividend um, for tax purposes and regulation purposes. And when you structure the policy and you roll those dividends back into the policy to buy you, quote unquote, more death benefit and gain more cash value, that's how it grows tax deferred. So that's an important point. Right. So I'm earning, I'm earning guaranteed interest while I'm also earning dividends on top. The percentage that goes to each depends on the company and the actual product you own, right? But total right now, the company that owns my policies, um, they're even if the, the percentage of those two are different, they right now are making the top line equal the same. So that's why I'm saying 6%. The 6% for me is broken down in the 4% guaranteed 2% dividends or 2.1%. Right. Um, so that's how that works. There's two components there. And that's how you're going to, and because we're overfunding, because we're giving the company more money than what they're asking for, when you add in the guaranteed interest plus the dividends, this is how you can accelerate the growth of these policies. Whereas, you know, your, your parent or grandparent that bought a very traditional whole life insurance policy, you know, 30 years ago, they probably bought it just for death benefit. They didn't overfund it. It wasn't structured for them to use as banking. That policy took a few years to have any cash value and it took 20 years to break even. Now, long-term, that's still a great product to own because they are going to be able to uh, decrease, uh, 
uh, deplete it for tax-free income, but we just don't want to wait 20 years. So the answer to your question, short answer is interest and dividends, two different things. Um, a part of it's guaranteed, which is the interest, and then dividends, legally speaking, they can't guarantee them, but that's why you want to work with the big companies. The big companies have paid dividends nonstop for 120 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the same in Canada. I think it's 150 yeah. in Canada, if I'm correct. So then nothing's perfect, right? Everything, mm -hmm. there's risk to everything. There's there's <clears throat> something we always have to consider. What would be, I know this is going to be a situational base too, and it's not going to be, but there's, is there something that isn't perfect about this? Great question. And when I'm on the phone with someone, I try not to be rude when I say this. Um, I searched it for nine months before I started my policies. Now I've owned them for four years and I've cycled my money through them. So when someone finds something that's not perfect with it, they can come to me and tell me because I haven't found it yet. Mm. Um, and no one's brought anything to me. Because every little thing that someone does mention, again, is it there, even if it's 0.01% risk, everything has risk. Right. Right. But risk with the life insurance policy is not the same risk like people assume with real estate or the stock market or think. I think the definition of risk in life insurance is, is different. So let me kind of explain that. You want to know what the biggest risk is to this issue? Divorce. Divorce. So what is the number one reason why people have to surrender their policies? Divorce. They've been stuffing money into these policies and then they get a divorce. And their spouse's lawyer looks at the net worth balance sheet and sees that there's 10 grand, 25 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand in cash value. They don't understand what the purpose of that was. And part of the divorce settlement is to liquidate and surrender the policy so the spouse can get their half. So right, that would, would be, the be similar in, in a bank account, regardless if it's a policy sure. or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, my wife fully trusts me and what I'm doing with my money, but if I'm the owner of all these and God forbid we get a divorce and she hires a lawyer and he looks at that and says, oh, you're going to go after these and have him surrender half of them. Right. She doesn't have to understand infinite banking when it comes to that. Right. She just needs to understand, oh, he's telling me to do this because it's in my best interest because I hired him and, and he's going to force me to liquidate it. Right. And that that that's that's the biggest risk. Now, from the front end, what is the what is the quote unquote risk? I don't think this is a risk. What is the a problem with life insurance? Is it's life insurance. So you have to qualify for it. Right. If you are if you are old, have a a, a, a disease, you're not going to qualify for life insurance. If you are unhealthy. You are going to qualify for life insurance, but for every dollar you put in, it's not going to get you as much death benefit because you're an unhealthy individual. Now, let me be clear. That doesn't bother me when I'm viewing it from a banking function because your unhealthy lifestyle does not affect the returns on your money. Right. That's one thing I want to clear up for people because, oh, I'm going to, because I'm unhealthy, I'm going to get less. No, 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 no. You're going to get less death benefit which for banking is not the most important part. So let's just get some of the money on you, get your money growing. And then if you have a healthy spouse or healthy kids, let's put the rest on them and you're going to be the owner. So that would be my first two. Biggest one is divorce is the biggest risk. Second part is your health right. and, how, and who you're putting it on and making sure you qualify. Now, if you're a healthy individual, you're going to get super ultra preferred rates you're going to get, again, the same returns as an unhealthy person, but your death benefits can be much higher for the same amount of money. So from a family banking standpoint, long-term, when you're funding you know, the family trust or the business bank account after you're passing, that's going to be better. Um, I'm trying to answer your question fully. Other issues, you know, it really comes down to the understanding the person has. Like, why is this not popular? Because it requires someone to be good at money management and just right. do the research and understand, right? Like if you're planning on shoving money into a policy, going out and buying a car, and you're just not going to pay your loan back, like, do you have to pay your loan back? Quote unquote, and I'm going to hedge this. No, you don't. Um, but your policy can lapse depending on how it's structured if you're not making premium payments long term right. and you're not making at least an interest payment on that loan. Yes, the answer is it can implode. It can implode. So if you suck at money, go buy the books that are number one on personal finance and you know who wrote them. 
If you suck at money, go listen to that guy. But if you have a proven track record of spending less than you make and you like to stay in control of your money, this is a great concept. Mm -hmm. I agree. And you mentioned, you mentioned uh, if someone didn't qualify because their health, we both own gym. We own gyms. And I like this idea and this concept because it's transferable, right? I, I want people to work out. I want to work out and exercise so I can experience life to the fullest in the now. I want to use my fitness. I don't just want to, because it's also building up for the future too, right? I'm adding years to my life. It's very similar with this, right? You don't just want to store up your money for retirement for a time to enjoy your life, which you don't necessarily know if you're going to make it to, right? So you're building up an investment for your future. You're building up income that you can take tax-free for your future, but you're also enabling yourself to use the money now instead of waiting and seeing if it's going to be there in the future. And that creates, especially if you're a creative person, if you're an entrepreneur, and this is why I really enjoy it, is you're forced to get creative with it. Like, how do I leverage this and be a good steward of it to create more impact and start different businesses or do different investments in the now instead of just protecting it and hoping it's going to be there in the future? Yeah. So I, I hope people have stuck with us this long. So let me Someone would say, why would Matt bring on someone on a lifestyle engineer podcast to talk about life insurance? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is called life insurance, not death insurance. You should be using this thing while you're alive. Now, have we talked about purchasing expenses? Yes. Have we talked about using it for investment? Yes. Let's talk about improving your lifestyle. I am a huge proponent of looking at financial strategy and lifestyle strategy. And when you can when you can bring both of those strategies into one singular choice, that will stump making a decision based on any one of those individually. Let me explain. Number one, the concept we're talking about is a financial strategy. Then you can use it to buy things in your life, invest in things in your life. So right there, period, it includes both. But let's talk about mending that. If I can put money in this place, get a good financial return, get safety, safety, security, good guaranteed growth, tax-free, tax-deferred growth, and tax-free distributions, good. My financial strategy is taken care of. Now, from a lifestyle strategy perspective, maybe I want to hire a fitness coach and they're the best. So they cost 7,500 bucks because I found them on Instagram because they have been posting cold plunge videos for three years. <laughs> and I do a discovery call with them. And it's like, oh man, where do I get that money from? Yeah, we'll get it from your own bank. Go ahead and pull a loan, pay that person, improve your life with that person. You're going to be happier. You're going to be more fulfilled. Maybe you start earning more money because you're more confident. And then you pay back your loan with that extra money. Or I look around, I have a spouse, I have some kids, I don't want to miss memories with my kids. We usually go and rent an Airbnb at this lake three hours away every six months. So hmm, let me do a little bit of research, see if I can leverage my policy to buy this asset, this house that we like to rent and go to anyways. So that is a lifestyle choice. Hmm, but I can slap it on this website and charge 250 bucks plus a month because other families like to do this. So let me understand how that works. So I'm making a financial strategy play and a lifestyle strategy play. Maybe you do that for two to three years, your kids get a little bit older and they're like, hey, mom, dad, we don't wanna go to the woods anymore. We wanna go to a beach. Okay, cool. If that's not gonna serve your family anymore, property possibly went up in value. So if your property went up in value and maybe you were making loan payments at this time, Maybe you weren't. You sell the property for a gain. You take the gain, pay back your loan, and you might have a little bit left over. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as you're talking there, you make it sound so easy in mm -hmm. terms of like, this is how your mind works, right? You've been in this industry for a long time. You're an entrepreneur. Um, you wouldn't be as nervous of taking risks as other people would. And I think what scares a lot of people is being in control of this and saying like, that's risky to buy that property. Mm -hmm. um, if you really start to look at it, it's risky 
not to use it either, right? It's risky not to take those quote unquote risks because you don't know again, how long you have, you don't know what the dollar amounts going to look like in the future, especially if you're just holding it in a bank account, right? And at the very least, you're going to learn. And that's what we're talking about lifestyle engineering. It's this idea that there's common principles across all these different aspects of life, mental, spiritual, relational, professional, uh, physical, and financial, right? And learning more and doing things that maybe are risky and maybe you fail a little bit, but you're going to learn and you're going to grow and you're going to learn how to better invest in all these different areas and actually make impact while you're here. Cause I think a lot of us have this mindset. We're just trying to make it to this arbitrary age of retirement that I don't believe we should retire. I think once we stop doing things, we, we digress, right? It's, it's, we we're, we're made to work and, and continue to add value into the world. So like when we have this mindset of retirement or being done with what we're doing, it stops us from being in the present moment and actually learning how can I actually leverage my money, my finances to impact the world, to create a lifestyle that I want. Yeah, I loved how you explained that there. So let's kind of just go back a couple steps. And it's like, let me talk to people on both sides of the spectrum here. The people that are worried about losing money and risk, and then the people that have experience or are interested in taking quote unquote risk. And I love what you said about retirement. So maybe I'll circle back and hit on that. I agree with you for that. I, I usually don't use that term, but on podcasts, people you know understand retirement. So I, I bring that term in, but I love how you explain that. People have to remember, and if they look at my content or they talk to me, I'll, I'll explain this to them. I funded policies for three and a half years and didn't touch them. What happened to my money? It grew. What also happened during those three and a half years? A pandemic happened and the stock market dropped by 35%. What happened to my money? It grew. It didn't go down. So where's my risk? The risk is out there. The risk is when you abdicate financial responsibility to other people, to the market, to people behind computer screens, okay? And I slept very well at night during the pandemic when other people were coming, even at my gym, people were coming to my gym complaining and scared about what was happening to their retirement accounts. So if you're worried about risk and you don't want to take risk, still a great place to put your money. You're going to get good return. It's going to be safe. It'll never go down. It won't even stay stagnant. It can only go up. Let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about someone that funds policies, protects their money there, pulls a loan, and buys Elon coin, a new coin, crypto, Elon coin. And they put all their money into it and it goes to zero. Did they just lose all their money? No. They just lost the money the life insurance company gave them. Their money's still in the policy. So let's call a spade a spade. What position are they in now? Huh. They just have an outstanding loan that needs paid back. Well, that's scary. Huh. Is it really? When you don't have, what's scary is when you have a payment due. Right. So, so how would I approach that situation? So, which is the complete opposite situation of what we just talked about. I took money from the life insurance company and I freaking lost it. What would I do now? Most people, and I don't use that term lightly, I try not to use absolute phrases like that, don't go to zero overnight and stay there long term. Right. In terms of, in, let me clarify, in terms of income, you might lose your job, go to zero, but you'll probably get a job here, whether it's a month, three months, or even a year later. Okay. Unless you give up, which again, isn't the life insurance company's problem or the loan problem. That's your problem. Right. Most people listening to podcasts, I would say 99.9% .9 of them, I, say, I, I feel safe saying that, will always, this is the point I want to make, will always come into more money. They will earn money. That's what working's for, which is why you said something about retirement. Do you really ever plan on not earning money? Whether that's active, half passive, or passive. I don't want to get into the differences between the definitions that those words mean. Do you really think you're ever going to stop getting money 
flowing into your life? If the answer is no, I always will have money flowing into my life. I just don't know how or when. And when life changes, I got to figure out a new strategy. Sure. So if you blew the money that the life insurance company loaned to you, all you have is an outstanding loan. And when you come into more money, this goes back to the banking function, which I normally say this on podcasts, and I haven't said it yet. When you have a life insurance policy and you're using infinite banking, you now always have a place to put your money. You're either paying a premium, you're either paying a loan payment back because when you have an outstanding loan and you're coming into more money, it doesn't make sense to keep it in a bank that's not going to pay you. I might as well pay it back to my life insurance company, decrease the accruing interest and in having another dollar to borrow tomorrow. Every dollar I pay back today is another dollar I can borrow again tomorrow. Cycling money, velocity of money, cash flow banking. When I come into more money, I will just start paying back that loan on my own timeline. The strategy doesn't change even though my situation in life has. Right. Yeah. That's like a mic drop, Sean. <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm sweating. It is the, you know, this is the best topic in the world because people don't think it relates to them. Mm. It absolutely relates to you. You're young, single, don't ever want to get married because you want to build wealth. Cool. This relates to you. Young, single, healthy, want to get married and have kids. Well, guess what? That's going to change your life and you're going to want more money. So you're either going to try and look for a high income earning job, increase your skill set, or look for investments faster to where your money is not tied up for the next 35 years. That's not sexy to me. And that's what my backstory is, right? I didn't want my money tied up. I didn't want to have to work for a school for 35 years and they dictate how much money I made. You're going to figure out new ways to come into more money. And when you implement this into your life, it is now the, the warehouse of wealth, the storage facility of every dollar you want to hold on to in perpetuity. And then whether you understand what you want to do today or have no clue what you want to do today, and by today I'm, I'm inferring investing into something that's going to pay you more. Right. If you do or do not know, the money is going to be there when you're ready. I went three and a half years without touching my policies. Then the pandemic happened. My money didn't go down, but my business got hurt. Mm -hmm. And I realized I needed to put some money to work. That's my story. I realized I needed to put money to work. And this year, well, we're recording in 2023, 2022, I went from $0 of investment real estate to just under $5 million in eight months because I leveraged policies and got smart on financing. Your life can change. Mm -hmm. very quickly. And you probably talk about this um, with clients that you have in your, your, your program. Your life can change by just changing a few thoughts you have and a few daily action habits that you're taking. And most of the time that requires you to invest in yourself and investing in yourself means investing in someone that has been where you've been and is now helping people get to where they are. And yes. that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. And that's what I'm trying to do at wealth insurance. Yeah. Yeah. It's that whole wisdom thing, right? Like a wise person learns from mistakes and doesn't let it happen again. A wiser person learns from other people's mistakes or their, their life lessons and takes that in their own life. And that's, I know there's a lot of interest, a lot more interest nowadays in people hiring coaches, um, personal development coaches, advisors, because there's something to that, right? We know, I know I have multiple coaches in my life and I have throughout the years because I know that growth, the mindset growth and the personal growth impacts every single other thing in my life. Everyone's usually just looking at the external part. They want the external physical transformation. They want more money. They want to win the lottery. They want all these things that they know if I put my money in, I'm going to get more money back right away. Whereas if you were to invest that money in personal development and growing yourself, when things like a pandemic hit or something else happens in the future where we weren't expecting it, you have the ability to adapt and to change your trajectory just like you did. Like it took the pandemic and you actually came out better on the other side with your financial, um, with your assets and your cash flow and all that because you grew, you, you did the work prior to becoming the person who could handle this situation where a lot of people were stuck, never having invested in themselves as a person. And they just invested time and energy and skills 
in their occupation or their job, which leaves you in a pretty vulnerable, vulnerable position if things go sideways. Man, that's a beautiful statement you just made. And I could not agree with you more. Um, I really wish, I really wish we could go back in time and instead of implementing a 401k law into the law in the United States, implement, you know, a, a, a law to where the same amount of money is going to be invested in the individual, their education, their mentoring. And that delayed gratification piece is kind of what you were alluding to there is instead of looking at this thing that's going to return me right now, let me just delay that gratification, invest in something that's going to require a little bit more effort in my internal attention, or my attention is going to be turned internally on me, the individual, not these other things that have external things associated with them. Long-term, if someone can sit down and think about that long-term and, and talk to the people that have done this long-term, the long-term returns on that are going to be greater. Mm -hmm. Delayed gratification usually pays off. And this goes back to what we talked to about the life insurance policy. Year one, yeah, you can do some things with it. But year one's not the sexiest year. Year seven is sexier than year one. Mm -hmm. Year 15 is sexier than year seven. Year 35, because let's say, even if you're 60 and you're healthy, you have a higher chance to live to be 95. The year 35 is sexier than year 20. Okay. And that's what we're looking at. Whether you're talking to Matt about his program, the compounding on the actions you take make your life exponentially better the longer that that timeline spreads out. So many people are focused on such a short timeline. And believe me, you and I have been in masterminds where we focus on 90 days. Right. 90 days is a long time to get some real stuff done to impact your life. But when those 90 days are built upon 90 days, built upon 90 days, built upon 90 days, and the things you implemented five 90 days ago, 10 90 days ago, have had the time to marinate like a fine wine. Man, when that hits your lips, it's that much better. Yeah. Yeah, it's so much more fulfilling, right? It's you're you're not looking for the quick fix anymore. You become the type of person that has the discipline to implement these tactics, these proven tactics and these principles like compounding interest and all these different stuff. And you play the long game and you're seeing the fruits of it in the future. As Sean, this has been fantastic. Um, so I want people to be able to find you if they're in the States. I mean, even if they're not in the States, I mean, you, you mentor gym owners too. Um, gym owners and you, you do whole life policies or you, you collaborate with people who help people set them up. Where can people find you? Um, what's the best way to contact you? If you're friends with Matt on Facebook, you can look at his friends list and find me there. Um, I do post a lot of written content on Facebook. On Instagram, you'll have the same written content plus the, the short form reels. My Instagram handle is at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, underscore, writer, R-I-D-E-R, underscore. So an underscore after my first and last name. Um, and then TikTok is the same reels from Instagram. Put on TikTok if someone likes that platform better. Um, at Sean Ryder underscore mentor. So a little bit different handle on there. And then I just started the YouTube channel, uh, Wealth Insurance with Sean, S-H-A-W-N. Um, that's going to be the YouTube shorts are going to be the same videos from Instagram and TikTok, but then, um, the focus there is providing longer form right. videos to educate people, not only on whole life insurance, but wealth building, money management, things like that. Um, only have two longer form videos up there, five to 10 minutes long. I don't know how much longer I'll go, you know, maybe 15, 20 on a good day, but, um, I got a little something for everybody is the goal. That's where Love they can it. find it. Love it. Well, thanks, Sean. This has been fantastic. Appreciate your time and your insight and your knowledge and expertise. I know people are really going to benefit from this. Thanks, everyone, thanks, for tuning man. in. It's um, been great. Thanks, man. Yeah.
feel free to subscribe and leave me a review and share it with friends if you found this beneficial. Have a great day.